Hello again, gentlemen. Welcome to the first day of Thatch's Thatch Can Style Wrestling. There's a lot of glare coming off that dome of yours. Squirrel nut! What does WrestleMania mean to Brock Lesnar? It's a day that I get to show up, kick somebody's ass, and get paid to do so. Crying out loud, you can't use a thing with you swearing like that. I don't give a damn. I came up here for a purpose to prove some son of a bitchin' thing. And I'll tell you what I came to prove, that Lawler didn't have the guts. Hey there, folks. Welcome to We Don't Know Wrestling. I am your host, Sam. This week's episode is brought to you by Bombshell's Blueberry Peach Ginger Hard Cider. Got a, I don't know, kind of a full show this week. After being two weeks off, I thought there'd be a lot more that happened, but no. Everything decided to kind of collide in the past 24 to 48 hours from this recording. So, we're not going to delay all too much. We're just going to kind of hop into it. Before we get into what is more or less the shit show of the week, let's talk about some good news. Something that is just joyful, just pleasant, and that is IWTV's announcement of the T4 Territory Tag Team Tournament to crown the first ever IWTV Tag Team Champions. They kind of broke it down on their site, on a tweet that they linked there. It is going to be a tournament of 15 tag teams, which is a weird number to pick. I don't quite get it, but good for We'll figure it out. I'm looking forward to what the format is. But 15 tag teams where the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals will be decided on December 30th and 31st at Restival. IWTV's Restival. In, I know I'm not going to say this right, Worcester, Worcestershire, Massachusetts, beyond territory. So that will be coming up on the 30th and 31st of December to kind of kick off. We'll just get into the New Year celebrations early. They're going to be competing in the tournament under the new, newly decided IWTV tag team rules for the division, which is not something I'm quite following. They have pretty plainly stated, and I'm, I appreciate them going the extra mile to outline what the rules are, but for a couple of reasons, the rules of tag team wrestling are pretty well established. Two, when we've seen so many folks, uh, the, there is no tag team match that's really not competed under official tag team rules. So what is the point of kind of developing these when in theory, every match should already be working under these assumptions and referees or whatnot don't ever enforce them. But I appreciate that other, we'll we'll see how it pans out. My assumption is at least for this tournament, these will be pretty heavily enforced and will play into in no small part how the match actually unfolds, which is kind of exciting to see how a new set of rules impacts that, or at the very least, rules that are actually being enforced affect 
how these matches are structured. So first up, to make a legal tag, tags are legal as long as the two team members touch above their waist or hand-to-hand. All tags must be over the top rope. The wrestler outside the ring must be standing on the apron, holding onto the tag rope tied in their corner. Pretty standard stuff. This is pretty much done for the most part, in theory, already. Not one of those things that gets enforced super heavy because it doesn't need to be. The next thing is kind of a little bit more intensive. A tag team may be disqualified for not adhering to the following. Inside the ring, 10 seconds for both tag team members to be in the ring. Outside the ring, 10 seconds for the legal people on the outside of the ring. If an illegal tag is made, the competitor has 5 seconds to get out. And then, this is the real whammy because it's so prevalent now and has been for years pretty much as a standard practice, especially in independent tag team wrestling. Officially, team combinations such as stacked pinfalls and double submissions are prohibited. That is going to have a major effect on how these teams interact, how they figure out how to outline their matches. So, again, I don't know who's going to be in this tournament. 15 teams. I don't know if I can name 15 teams I really want to see. So, I'm figuring there's going to be some hodgepodge teams as well that will be exciting to see. This is... Baz is forever's term to lose still. That is still the outcome. That seems the most likely. I can't imagine they're going to screw with that before we get to Restival. Knowing that these were all happening at Restival does make me feel like things could go any which direction between the 30th and 31st. Once those teams land in Massachusetts, Baz is forever. It could be it would be too cute in my book. Depending on the tag teams. Again, I don't know who they would select at this point. I'm assuming there's going to be a couple of representatives from California that are going to have to be entered in this tournament to represent West Coast Bro. There's going to have to be balances forever amongst the group of folks that are going to be in the tournament. We'll see what this all kind of pans out for. I'm excited to see what how they figure this all out. Does ICW have some representation? They are one of, if not the biggest promotion on the platform, but they're not known for being super technical wrestling heavy. They aren't a place where the IWTV belt is getting defended a lot, despite them being so popular. AC Max not coming over there. So, but it'll be interesting to see if they can figure out a way to weave that promotion into this mix. I think that'd be a lot of fun and great entertainment. But yeah, T4 Territory Tag Team Tournament. It's going to be starting this month, they said, in September. Quarterfinals, semifinals, finals taking place out there December 30th and 31st. I don't know how that math works out. I'm assuming this first round matchups are going to be kind of spread out over the next few months, maybe? I don't know. Don't know how that would work. We'll see. Well, there we go. Number five, T4 Territory Tag Team Tournament. Let's start out at number four with a little mini-review of AEW's All Out. It's not exactly what anyone is talking about, which is probably for the best for AEW, frankly. We'll get to the aftermath in just a second. But I want to at least give some thoughts on All Out because it is a pay-per-view that absolutely 100% happened. It is sort of an AEW throwback as far as pay-per-views goes, where the excitement is pretty good. Car looks strong. 
pretty much a stinker of a show, though. There is not a lot to love. On the pre-show, you do have Eddie Kingston versus Tomohiro Ishii. Strong match. Good. But when you get to that main card, whew, it is pretty dire for a pretty strong amount of time. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I fell asleep before the main event. The match of the night by all reputable records. but And I was going to watch it before this episode. But at the same time, I was like, okay, I need to be true to my my experience watching it as it was going on. And that this show had drained me so much by how poorly paced, how the matches really had no, no mustard on them. The crowd not being really all there for most of the night and everything just feeling too bloated too 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 much and not in a way that really excited me of what i did see i would say jay lethal and motion machine guns versus warlow and ftr was my match of the night i thought that was straight to the point pretty low stakes all things considered where they didn't really have to push for more you have the post-match with Joe Samoa Joe showing up, somehow bleeding. You also have Dax Hardwood's daughter of fight like an eight-year-old girl fame showing up to break Sanjay's pencil and to get the visible three count on him with Bryce counting the pin. But the whole show as a whole was kind of just a eh. People really liked the trios match for the titles. That match being so early in the card doesn't make sense to me. In the grand scheme, when you have two other trios matches, which theoretically should define some sort of pecking order for these brand new titles. But you have this match going out first. And none of those matches at all hint to this being a setup, it felt like. So I don't know. I think Hobbs versus Starks was good. But at the end of the day, like, it should have been the fifth, maybe sixth best match on a pay-per-view. Not second, maybe third. Or it should have been a TV main event. I don't know. But the out, what we got as a show just felt like it didn't hit. The MJF stuff, truly, truly bad. That ladder match never seemed to get its footing a match that people on this network were saying oh that's my sleeper match of the night that might be the one to look forward to outside of mox and punk and it was just it was completely flat i'm not saying anyone that said it was going to be a real a winner was wrong to think that this should have been a slam dunk it had all the components it had great bases it had folks that are willing to bump like mad people, folks that are willing to do some ill-advised things. And yeah, we don't get a lot of that here. And then they end the match with sort of a, a, I'm just going to call it a flop of an angle, where all these men in ski masks hit the ring, attack everyone, Stokely Hathaway in mask, Grabs the casino chip, takes the mask off, does that reveal. We got Morrissey, William Morrissey. We got Ethan Page. We got 
ass boys we have Lee Moriarty it is a motley crew it is not exactly screaming main event level stars and then you have MJF wearing a devil mask show up take the chip from Hathaway Stoke Big Stoke doesn't take off the mask until after the main event but sort of like ugh, don't really care MJF doesn't get me excited, but the way they sort of decided this match was meaningless up until that point, and none of those folks that did that or part of the angle are hot wrestlers. Sorry, Ethan Page doesn't have it. Morsey, he might be worth something to AEW. If nothing else, he's a pretty sizable upgrade over Luchasaurus as far as Big Ben talent go. But good lord, that's just not a group that you can take seriously. The only thing that made me come out of this AEW card was, when's the next ROH pay-per-view? Because that show was tremendous last time, the last ROH pay-per-view, Death Before Dishonor. But really what happened was, it was a show with lower expectations and very few masters to serve in the long run. This was not something that needed to be to set up months of TV. It just needed to exist and to buy time to the next thing. I don't know what they do. I don't know how they figure this out. And I hope Final Battle is not the next pay-per-view. Even though that might. That kind of seems where it's going. Kind of seems where it's going. Give me another Ring of Honor pay-per-view. Give me FTR versus Motor City Machine Guns. Please don't give me. Joe versus Lethal. Again. Give me Claudio versus. I'll just say. Someone good. I don't know. Give me a give me Jerry Lynn versus Daniel Garcia for the pure title. Do that. Do something wacky, weird. You have the canvas to do it. But yeah, AEW All Out 2022. Sort of a stinker. Don't recommend. By all counts, the main event rocks. But at that point, this show had just taken so much out of me when I was literally vibrating going by the end of the show. At double or, for double or nothing. Dang. That's a bummer. Because AEW is coming to both Buffalo and Albany. Two shows I could conceivably drive to after work. Back-to-back weeks. I'm not afraid to make a money commitment to AEW. But man, these shows just didn't make me want to move them an inch towards them. Dang. Well, moving on to the real main event. All right, it's it's the juice time with number three here. AEW's backstage and the media scrum, specifically CM Punk. Everyone and their mother was tweeting, tweeting about this. It is the talk of the town, as it were. Where Punk essentially just rips into folks left, right, and center. The media scrum post all out. He's calling out Adam Page for what he's defining as politicking when bringing up Colt Cabana in a promo, referencing that sort of activity. And then CM Punk talking about Colt Cabana during the, or Scotty Goldman, or, you know, during the media scrum, or Scott Colton. Scott Colton, that makes more sense. Sorry about that. And that's. He's just, he's going ripping right into him. Like everything we had 
read in like, oh, this is his feelings towards him that he's not really been so shy about, but really hasn't been talked about a ton during this period. He's like, yeah, I do not like this person. He goes on to say that the two people in this business who have made the most money off of CM Punk are Vince McMahon and Scott Colton. He is just going scorched earth on this man. Ripping into the Young Bucks as well. Calling them empty-headed, calling them stupid, saying they still think they're in Rosita, California. It is a lot. And based on all the reports you see out today, we hear the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega came to Punk's locker room after the scrum. Well, not after, sorry, not after the scrum, after Punk's section of the scrum, well, everyone else is still doing their routine there in front of the media to confront him about what he said, to say how this is messed up, that with AVPs, we've been here, this company doesn't really belong, happen without us, yada, yada, yada. I'm ad-libbing a little bit here, but let's show up and try to confirm about what he had said about Scott Cole, about Colt Cabana, someone that they look very much up to. And what transpires is not incredibly clear. Other than everything that I've read and that is out there seems to point to Nick Jackson getting knocked out or at least punched in the face, having a black eye. That's, yeah, that's kind of the big thing. That's the big takeaway. You also have moments like, there are more rumors that Ace Steel bit one of them because he was there to help watch the dog and whatnot. It was a whole scene. If nothing, whatever transpired, it was not good. There was a physical altercation, something about wrestling that we haven't really talked about in a long time. And what I'm about to discuss now is kind of Wade Keller did a report, did a podcast on his, on the Torch VIP, which I've decided to subscribe to because I'm doing a couple of other projects that I wanted to see if I could pull some information from old torches. And I listened to it. It's phenomenal. I think I might subscribe, stay subscribed to a torch. And that's just a freaking wild thought in my head. But what he had sort of insinuated, and I won't go into all the details because I really do think it's worth finding a way to listen to one way or another, is that Tony Khan is more or less on the side of the punks of the world, of the FTRs of the world. Unless the EVPs, less the Adam Pages, and he does kind of agree with the punks, and now there are other ways to go about this, other ways to be making money in this professional wrestling company, and that maybe the EVPs are thinking too small and aren't thinking of how to make the most of their situations. It's interesting. I would not have thought about that there are, there's a whole bunch of other nuggets in there that you absolutely need to listen to. But by and large, I think this is just pandemonium. It's not, it feels like something we haven't really heard about in a long time. That this infighting in a professional wrestling promotion. I in that feel partly because WWE under lock and key maybe might be WWE. It's so bland, it's so boring, it's so corporate that that there's not a ton of room to 
gain these insights and these stories. Where in AAW, there's a few less walls on this house. You can peek right in. You can see it all there. The level of access to be a differentiator starts to allow you a little bit more behind the scenes as far as where are the scenes of this enterprise? Where, what's what's happening here? And frankly, like WWE is to the point where like it's insulated itself to any sort of infighting that could take place. If they could, Roman Reigns is well, I don't know who the second biggest star in this promotion would be. Roman Reigns and AJ Styles go into a physical altercation tomorrow. They could both be fired on the spot. And they could keep moving forward without a care in the world. This is not the same with with Punk and the Elites, with Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. So it'll be interesting to see how this transpires, how this goes forward. Is this going to be tried to turn into a work? Is this going to be tried to spun in a few different ways? It, it could just be a work. You never know at this point. But this... What does that serve? A lot of people talking about MJF and how, okay, yeah, this big angle should have his big return. And this has immediately taken all heat off that. Which to I say first, angle wasn't that good. Pretty pretty shit. Secondly, MJF did the exact same did a worse thing to Warlow. Warlow, who had become a nuclear star, getting pretty much dampened by MJF showing up hot ready to go cutting the one of the most talked about promos of the year immediately after and pretty much meaning making Wardlow's victory 90% meaningless or less impactful at the very least so I can't feel bad for MJF he's going to have his opportunities to do whatever he wants, even if I think he mostly is not great. But yeah, what is the point with this big MJF return to turn this situation into a work? I don't know. I don't quite get it. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So we'll see how this all pans out. So now that we've gotten the big part of this episode done, let's go into Tweet of the Week. We've got two this week. First up, at fake TJ Hawk. Fans always mad about CM Punk's interpersonal flaws. Bailing is forever going to rub me the wrong way. It's like being mad at Michael Jordan in an industry full of Carl Malones. All the while, the fans are in parasocial relationships with Bill Weddington and Jude Bushler. I may have butchered Judd Butchler's name, but this is... One, just a great tweet. And it feels like I looked up the quote retreats just because I'm a a dumb man. And so many people getting hung up on the punk to Michael Jordan comparison. Which I disagree with <laughs> punk as Michael Jordan. But his point wasn't in regards to his uber talentness. And in general, I think like Punk's great, has been great, one of the greatest 
to ever do it. Maybe not one of those tippy top guys, but you know what? He's pretty damn good. But he's not Michael Jordan level great, I suppose. But it's the ideology behind. Like that's what's important. It's like, okay, he's great. He's kind of he's a prick because he's great. Which is kind of spurred more conversations about like, okay, if you're this great, you have to be a certain level of dedicated to your craft and caring about what people think about you for it to work. You will fall short if you are not that caring and not that just deeply enraptured with the concept of your talent. See, people seem to get hung up on that. That that was the, the well, he's not Michael Jordan. Well, no, he's not. But that attitude can be kind of an asshole, be kind of a piece of shit. But not in the same way as Carl Malone. An outwardly, maybe, decent looking guy. Like, you know, a model sort of NBA player as far as conduct on the basketball court. Despite impregnating a ch- essentially a child as a grown-ass adult man. And that kind of going to the kind of speaking out in professional wrestling and how this business is just riddled with abusers, with truly bad people, actually bad people. And this was when it sounded like maybe Punk was more of an initiator. I think Wade's take on this, Wade's commentary and more stories that have come out have made it pretty clear that the elite trotting down three on three to one to a person's locker room that's a threatening maneuver and that you got to be ready to square up when that situation is called upon but this just feels so wild that people don't get this tweet also uh this this is a rotten industry and punk is an asshole kind of a a real a, a motherfucker but He's not heinous to our knowledge. He's not truly despicable. Someone that deserves to be stoned in the public square. Like legitimately so many professional wrestlers. So, tweet of the week. Just, Tej, he's got it. He is just, always has a way with words. Number one, another tweet of the week. Not because it's good, but because it's actually psychotic. It's from Justin Davis. All the EVPs got beat up. Imagine the EVPs at Apple got beat up and no one did anything. Sorry. Imagine someone walked into Seven Bucks Productions, beat up The Rock, and had a job after. How can you still watch anything from that organization? It's one, the framing is amazing because it's essentially stating the actual issue at hand and why this is disgusting is because someone was punching up at a person in authority, not punching down. The other thing here, and this is, I would just be clear, I want to talk about sort of the tribalism that sort of exploded once Triple H sort of took over from Vince McMahon 
and a little bit about Cody Rhodes because I think people are are just losing it or becoming disassociated with reality to some extent. This also insinuates that an actor or someone that has been in a high level like hasn't been abused and that just like having no repercussions like we just and I want to say like from males like it to a man because it feels like Justin Davis doesn't have any sort of feeling towards women that he is not <laughs> he fucking like oh yeah that's terrible but also like yeah it happens it happens uh, I truly believe he's that kind of person, a real shit stain, as it were. But, like, we have something like Brendan Fraser, one of the, like, biggest movie stars in the game for many years with The Mummy and other sort of, like, stuff he was working on. He was a big deal. He was, like, a much better Chris Pratt, more or less. And he was abused and was blackballed and was pretty much like, hey, I, I can't fucking do this anymore also because this this business kind of fucking is trying to kill me, it feels like. And now he's showing back up 10 years for Great Resurgence. It's amazing. Like, he just got that big round of applause at Venice for The Whale. I really looking forward to watch that. But what I'm trying to get at here is like he was a person that maybe wasn't in power, but like he was a major star. He was someone that was important. He got abused and he called it out. And guess what? It didn't do Jack. It was meaningless to to his situation or to the other person's situation. This shit happens all the time. And what Punk did, just to be clear, you have to be sort of a weirdo to not see, like, at the very worst, this is an area of gray. That <laughs> Punk's not going out there trotting down these these EVPs after the scrum and be like, you know what, motherfuckers, let's, let's do this. Let's go off. No, that's not what happened. That's what he's making it sound like happened, but they happened. And then the other part of this, and like this just goes with the tribalism of like, whoo, like, wow, now the Triple H is in charge, like things really could be changing. But also like the Cody Rhodes talk, just because Cody Rhodes and Triple H feel like they might as well be related. Of who Cody knew it. He's so smart. Like he looks like a, he looks so good right now. And all I have to say to that is. If you didn't think, he wasn't trying to get off a stinking ship. He was just trying to figure out what's the next ship for Cody Rhodes. He realized he was going to get squeezed out. And he's probably correct there. But this wasn't because like he thinks AEW is going to implode. So I said, I don't imagine that. He just wanted to get to... What was best for him? And he wasn't looking to be a power hog in AEW because he was kind of losing it. 
I mean, I guess that's the thing. When we talk about earlier how Tony's siding with Punk now. Okay. All, all the EVPs were on loose power. But I think, like, Cody was thinking about more than just him. Not indistinguishable from AEW situation. He was not worried about the EVPs losing power. He was literally about him losing power. And he lost it before anyone else. Just to be clear, like, he was going downwards before everyone else. I don't know. Seems weird. Tweets a freaking mindfuck. Justin Davis is a absolute fucking piece of shit. <laughs> but that's all I got. That's, we don't know wrestling, baby. That's this episode. That's 119. Next episode's 120. This has been a much longer episode than anticipated. I will say we have an upcoming new show coming to the network from myself and Dan Rice. Well, we will give more information when the first episode comes out within the next couple of weeks. I'm excited for it. Hopefully, you enjoy it. But glad to be back doing the show. And I will be back next week for more We Don't Wrestling. Go follow us at WDKWPN on Twitter. Go listen to Quentin and Tim, QNTR at QNTR on Twitter. They had a really great preview of All Out, and I will say they were probably going to give a much more vivid uh, picture of the outcomes, everything, <laughs> the show itself, this week on the show. So once again, thanks for listening. Be back next week. Drop us a line. Drop, give us a follow on Twitter. Go give us a review on iTunes. Pump those numbers up. Love y'all.